Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss the all-new, all-different X-Men issue 108, the December 1977 issue on sale in September 20th of 1977. Nice. It's titled Armageddon Now. And there's a couple of changes. Well, there's only one change on the cover of this, and that change is... Do you know what it is, Adam? Um. (laughs) The cover price is now 35 cents. Issue 107 was 30 cents. Oh, well, when did it go up from 25 cents? (laughs) That I don't know. You can't, like, call out every other five-cent increment. It looks like it went up between issues 100 and 101. Shame on us for missing that difference between the 25 cents and the 30 cents. So on the cover of this issue, there is a, well, um, I don't think we know it because we haven't read the issue yet, but I'm just going to spoil it. It's a gigantic golden fist. It's another not very exciting Cockrum cover. Yeah. Uh, Really, if you hadn't read the story, like when I first saw this cover, I'm like, I don't know what they're fighting. Yeah, you really can't tell. It's not a good drawing of... I mean, the the X-Men are flying uh, because something scattered, uh, smashed the ground and they're scattering around. But you can't really tell what it is unless you... Read the issue. Read the issue. And uh, I like how Banshee's kind of flying around here. I know, it's funny. <laughs> it's just crotch out facing the audience and him flying backwards. The rest of the X-Men are okay. Colossus is diving out of the way. Cyclops is shooting at this thing. Nightcrawler looks like he's maybe throwing a rock or something at it. And uh, Storm is... She's doing like a dive. Yeah, she's doing like a... She's in preparation to do like a front flip or something. <laughs> well, there's another change in this particular issue. Uh, while it is still written by Chris Claremont, it is drawn by John Byrne. Well, and and it's also inked by Terry Austin. That's two changes. Indeed. Uh, I have wall and ors are lettering. That would be Denise Wall and Tom Orzeszowski. Wow, just taken off. I mean, do you think they did every other letter? or one of, <laughs> one, one of them did the narration and the other one did the text box? Yeah, maybe. And uh, let's see, Andy Yonkis is coloring, and Archie Goodwin is still in that editing chair. Indeed. What I want to know is, uh, like, so the title says Armageddon Now. I think we've had this question before, but uh, who letters the giant title letters? Maybe that's what Denise Wall does. Maybe she just letters, like, the the titles and, and the sound effects. Oh, that could be. Sure. So we join this comic book where we left off last issue, which is essentially all... Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, let's talk a little about this John Burden fellow. Oh, well, what, what's there to know about him? Well, uh, why is he taking over? I have no idea. Well, that's where I come in. I did a little research. I read the letters column. <laughs> do you have more information than that? I do. Uh, John Byrne uh, was friends with Chris Claremont, who was familiar with his work from Charlton Comics. That's how he got his first Marvel gigs, working for such 
exciting comics as Iron Fist in Marvel Premiere and The Champions. I guess oh. he's on The Champions at this time and Marvel Team Up. And uh, what I've read from the book Marvel Comics by Sean Howe is that John Byrne made it known around the Marvel offices that, you know, he was ready to work on X-Men. He absolutely was totally into the X-Men. And he's like, if, uh, if Cockrum ever has to leave, it would be really upsetting to me if I did not get the book. Okay. You know, Cockrum, Cockrum also loved working on the book, but I guess Marvel hired him as a cover designer, which is funny because we're always critiquing his terrible <laughs> covers. <laughs> And uh, once they did that, the bi-monthly pace of the X-Men was uh, was difficult for him. Okay. And at this point, Marvel decided that the title was selling well enough to go on a monthly schedule. But it's not monthly yet. It's still only bi-monthly. It's not. As they explain in the letters page, spoilers, they're, they're going to give it a couple months to get some build-up. Mm-hmm. Byrne had at this point made it known that he was really good at drawing multiple issues of a comic per month and that he was good. And so uh, (laughs) a quote, John was from Cockrum. John was the heir apparent to the book and he was panting to take it over. But every time he came to the Marvel offices, he pissed everybody off. I stayed on a little longer just to aggravate him. Even after he left the book, Cockrum continued drawing X-Men covers just to annoy Byrne. (laughs) That's funny. We'll see uh, what the story is when we get to issue 110 about uh, Burns, Fire, and Brimstone. Because, spoilers, he doesn't draw issue 110. And that's just two issues away. But we'll get to there when we get there. Well, I don't know if he's been (laughs) hired on as the official artist yet or what the deal is. So maybe they're trial running him at this point? Yeah, who knows. Yeah, I like his work. He He looks good. Yeah? Yeah. I think, um, well, so, I mean, the first panel here is fine. It's a nice one-page spread of all of the X-Men surrounded by the, or surrounding that gem thing, which I believe was causing the all-existence to go blink. And you really can't Mm -hmm. see a whole lot here. I mean, it's mostly the back of people's heads, although you do get to see the side of Chad's, Chad's head. Good old Chad. From this panel alone, I'm not really able to feel John Byrne, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So you go to the next page, and we'll talk about everything that's going on here. But really, it looks to me like John Byrne is just copying Cockrum's work. Well, I'm sure there's definitely that. Uh, he, I feel like he's his lines are crisper. His uh, his line work is cleaner. Hmm. And I like that. It it actually reminds me of Art Adams. Which really is interesting because Art Adams comes much later, but. I mean, later on, as uh, John Byrne develops his artistry, I would agree with that. But in this first showing, I'm like, it's it's very good. Um, one of the best we've seen so far, but I'm not... This isn't John Byrne's style. I agree with you. I definitely feel like this is a mixture of John Byrne's style with uh, Dave Cockrum's style. I almost felt like maybe Dave Cockrum did, like, the breakdowns or something, and then John Byrne came in later to, like, sharpen everything up, and then Terry Austin inked it. No, I don't know about that. I, I, I'm, I'm sure the comic would have said that if that were the case. Yeah, probably, but who's to say? We get an early John Byrne who is definitely aping Dave Cockrum. Yeah, yeah. So the X-Men and the Star Jammers are all trying to figure out what to do next. Right. Banshee demands that Cyclops tell him exactly what Princess Lelandra told 
him in the last issue, thereby wasting a few panels of backstory of what's been going on, which is funny because it says, and so he does, beginning with the X-Men's headlong flight through an alien Stargate. So, so guys, I'm going to take you back to the part you already know. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to retell that part, and I'll, then I'll tell you the stuff you don't know. But did, does he tell the stuff that we don't know? No, he really doesn't. He doesn't actually tell them the stuff that they don't know at all. This is it's basically a retelling for of of the story, but not of Melandra's story. John Byrne would go on much later in his career to do X Men the Hidden Years, and in X Men the Hidden Years he always does this, where he does like a page or a half a page of last time on X-Men, but done in a, oh, what were we doing? Oh, yeah, I remember, you know, what we did last issue, and then back into the story. So I don't know if this is a Claremont thing or a, or a Burn thing. Like, hey, I want to draw what happened last time so everybody knows what's going on. Well, I think it's a, it's a, it's a Marvel thing, but, yeah, I think it's a, it's, Claremont's been doing it all along. So. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, and we get some more uh, information that we already had. Uh, Peter Corbo's up in the StarCore Space Lab. Now not only talking to Mr. Fantastic, but also talking to President Jimmy Carter and the Beast and Captain America. And apparently the Avengers and the Fantastic Four are standing behind their team members as well. And basically Peter Corbo's like, look, all existence uh, ceased to exist temporarily and then came back and nobody believes him. And if this keeps happening, it's it's not going to be good for us. We're all going to die. Right. It'll be the end of their universe as we know and live it, which, which gets, is this the very first beast? Oh, my stars and garters. I couldn't say for sure. I don't know. I don't think it's happened in the Avengers unless, well, I guess I'm not caught up with the Avengers yet. So, Are you sure it didn't happen in the Marvel Tales or the... I don't recall it. I feel like I would have noticed if it had happened, but I could be wrong. Huh. Maybe one of our fans will have to reach out and let us know. Well, so the president doesn't believe him. I guess Reed Richards is kind of like, stop joking, Mr. Corbo. And the Beast is kind of like, well, maybe. That's when he gets the Oh My Stars and Garters. Black Panther, I think he kind of believes it. The uh, Well, at, the, at that point, everybody believes it. And um, Jan and Hank Pym are talking about how, oh, we got to do something. We're the Avengers. And, and uh, Hank Pym says, we can't, honey. It's it's uh, it's out of our hands. This is just too big, too big and too far away. And oh, Hank, hold me close. I'm I'm scared. I know, baby. So am I. Have I ever mentioned how stupid Yellow Jacket's costume is? <laughs> yes. With those giant shoulder blades, that's just so stupid. He slices off his wife's head. <laughs> it's it's unfortunate that the Avengers can't do anything about this situation because they are supposed to be Earth's mightiest superheroes and they're the ones that are supposed to be fighting the space villains, not the X-Men. They don't know where to go is the problem. I suppose. But I wonder how like the Marvel bullpen handled all this. They're like, okay, I want to send the X-Men into space to save the universe. Aren't the people from the Avengers like, hey, that's what our guys do. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how much communication there was. I mean, well, there had to be some communication to make sure that, like, you know, they don't kill Spider-Man and the X-Men or something. Well, I have no idea, 
like what lineup of the Avengers this is. Because mm. rereading these Avengers, I have yet to encounter this lineup. So I don't know if this is something that corresponds to the Avengers that were coming out at the same time, mm. or if it's just something that Claremont decided, these are the Avengers that I like. <laughs> it could be. Or it could have been John Berman, like, these are the Avengers that I like. And then Chris Claremont's right. like, fine, give him some dialogue. Well, back at the, uh, wherever the X-Men are, the, where are they? A world with no name. Ah, there you go. It says it right in the dialogue box there. It's the world. I think uh, Chris Claremont refers to it as the world several times. A little gremlin with a purple outfit jumps out of uh, something. He's he's, uh, he's a little gremlin, and he uh, he is the guardian to the gate of eternity. His name is Jaff. Jo- Joff. Jaff or Joff? I'm going to go with Jaff, but you can go with Joff. All right. J-A-H-F. Joff. His charge is simple and final. So long as the gate is open, no one may approach the crystal and live. And this is where Wolverine jumps in. Mind you, he's still wearing that stolen uniform, and he says, You're going to stop, You're gonna stop us, Pipsqueak. Yeah. Wolverine, be careful. We don't know what we're up against. Oh, is that Cyclops? Is that Cyclops' new voice? <laughs> For now. When the professor's not around, this is how I talk. <laughs> <laughs> and in the next panel, it looks like uh, Wolverine's face is sliding off of his body. Yeah, it's not a very look at look at how his chin is done. <laughs> I feel like all of John Byrne's shots of Wolverine are not very good yet. He doesn't know how to draw Wolverine. There's a doozy coming up, but uh, let's see if I can remember to point it out. But this one's pretty bad. Well, anyways, Wolverine goes up to, uh, he's got he's about to hurt that little guy. And uh, the little guardian dude punches him out of the atmosphere. Besides, I ain't going to hurt the little fella much. Well, that's for sure, says the little fella. And as you said, punches him straight out of the atmosphere, which I imagine was, would kill somebody yeah unless they without a healing factor i i I agree um even with a healing factor you'd think you'd burn up as you left the atmosphere but who knows he's been in space before back in x-men 99 or 98 or whatever it was good point good point it was only for a couple seconds and it looks like he'll only be in space for a couple seconds here too because uh the the uh, Starjammer ship, who is being powered by Waldo, of Where's Waldo fame. Sure, sure. I found him on this panel, by the way. I I did too. He's right he's by everywhere. that. He's about that star. He is. Uh, Corsair calls him up and says, "Hey," uh, or uh, he calls Corsair rather and says, "Hey, there's a there's a humanoid flying across space." Corsair says, "Well, you better go get him, and and try to keep him alive if you can." Go get him and whatever it takes. Keep him alive. I copy. How are things dirt side? Who's Waldo? Is he a robot or is he an alien? Dude. I gather he is either the ship or he is the pilot of the ship and he would apparently be a robot. Why would they say dirt side? That sounds like slang. Would you program your ship or your robot to use slang? Yeah, it doesn't really fit, but I guess. Or is that the technical term for planet side could be Hmm, okay well for some reason this little dude is punching everybody now but he's not punching him out of the atmosphere he punches raza and he goes he just falls backward 
He only gets one punch out of the atmosphere per day. <laughs> That's his power. <laughs> he flips Colossus over his head. Chud catches Colossus. Oh, actually, he he does throw Colossus into orbit, or he says he's going to, but Chad gets in the way. Right. Storm conjures up a storm, or she's about to anyways. I don't think she actually does. No, she's just flying around. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's flying around. Nobody's addressing her. The little alien dude is looking at her. So then Phoenix, she's about to use some power against uh, him. She conjures up a... Uh, a meteor from space and brings it down to the planet and crushes little Joff. Or so it would seem. With a mighty Batham, which does absolutely nothing. And this is when we get our first full-on uh, portrait of Joff, and he looks like a fat little woman. <laughs> <laughs> With a mohawk, kind of. He actually looks really stupid. Yeah, he does. He looks like a drawing like a three-year-old would come up with. Not a good first outing for John Byrne. No. But by the way, I mean, what this means is that he did not die. He is just fine. He uh, he then starts... He's pounding some star jammers. Is he, though? I don't know if Chad is jumping at him or if he's being pushed away. I think he's being... Well, it's hard to tell. It looks like... Jaff extends his arms with a mighty punch, which causes Chad, Chad to fly into uh, Fur Girl, Squirrel Girl, or whoever that is. Uh, Skunk Lady. What the hell is her name? I can't remember. She's got the life bond with Corsair, though. Yeah. I can't remember her name. Well, anyways, uh, yeah, and, and he uh, Chad refers to that little chinchilla thing on his shoulder as uh, little brother. So maybe that's just kind of uh, Chad slang, or maybe they're related in some weird way. Again, universal translator not happening for this little guy. <laughs> that's when Cyclops orders Storm to use her storm powers to create a cyclone. So that the other X-Men can regroup, but Banshee decides, you know what, I've already got a plan, Cyclops. Deal with it. Something that the imp said about programming. If he's some kind of a robot, I'm betting my sonic scream will scramble his circuits some. He says he's betting his life. I know, and he dives in and Jaff uh, jumps up and grabs his chest and starts crushing his ribs and Banshee isn't able to scream, but finally he's able to get one breath, and he screams a mighty sonic scream straight into Jaff's face, and we never see Jaff again, so I guess he disintegrated him. Banshee, are you well, my friend? When we heard that scream, Storm says. Um, in the next panel here, I gotta be honest, uh, Banshee, that's a, it's a good, it's a really good drawing of Banshee in this next panel. I don't know okay. if it's how the the angle that he's done, the chin that he's got, the how the lips are portrayed, but it's a very good drawing. Like the the drawing previous to that, he looks like he has a very flat face, but in this he looks like a three-dimensional figure. He looks like a a character drawing. So, I don't know, just thought I'd point that out. It looks really good. And I think it helps that there's a a lot of extra shadowing and inking on his face. Mhm. So, anyways, Banshee's throat has never felt so raw. He can barely talk, and then he talks. 
Ah, Scott, you know Banshee's always been a goblin man. I figured where Jean's blunderbuss approach failed, a finer touch might do the trick. So he hit him with the strongest, tightest, beamed scream he ever tried. But uh, that's okay because a giant metal hand, the same one from the cover, presumably, cathooms into the ground and says, Magnificent! A stratagem intruder, it will be preserved in our memory, banks for all time, but in defeating the first guardian of the crystal, you have only succeeded in prolaging your agony. I am morded. The second guardian. Modded. <laughs> and Modded's power is a thousand times greater than Joff's. And if he falls, there's another guardian whose power is a thousand times Mudot. And so it will go until you are destroyed. There is an unlimited amount of uh, defenders that are over a thousand times stronger than the previous. Yeah, why didn't they just start with, like, the last one? <laughs> no kidding. I don't know. Cyclops' um, uh, optic beams make a frack sound. And uh, Raza's laser makes a zorp sound. Zorp. And that's when we go to the next panel. The uh, Mott, his hand comes falling down and uh, knocks Colossus and Raza back. Emperor Deccan, remember him? He starts fist pumping. Where has he been this whole time? He's been there the whole time, apparently. <laughs> He's standing, like, on the... Like, next to the crystal. Mm, just waiting. Yeah. Okay. I've been biding my time, but I just wanted to say, this day I'll see a double triumph, the death of the Star Jammers, and the acquisition of Power Absolute. Da, is your Emperor mad? Does he not realize the Guardian will slay him too? And Raza then says that that's not my Emperor. He's a madman. The Star Jammers call us. Let's go. Or the Star Jammer, rather. So the Star Jammer is the name of the Star Jammer's ship. Well, that's not very creative. <laughs> dumb. Well, it looks like Waldo is some sort of cyborg. He looks like he's wearing a Daft Punk helmet, which is kind of sweet. <laughs> <laughs> looks like he's also rescued Wolverine and yeah. has him in cryostasis. Yes. And he's singing, uh, well, I don't know. He's singing a Daft Punk song. Insert whatever you want here. <laughs> uh, but not that new one. That new one's terrible. Well, around the world makes sense because they're on the world. There you go. I guess now we're back. So it's kind of a weird jolt here. We're going from planet side to Star Jammer back to planet side. The uh, Star Jammer ship, uh, Waldo, wants to let them know that there was another cosmic blink. And uh, it's disrupting the basic fabric of the universe. And Raza runs up, grabs the Emperor, and tosses him into the crystal. Well, now, why isn't Madat um, protecting this? I thought he was protecting the 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 gem or whatever from entry. Yeah, the story kind of moves as it needs to. <laughs> how come, how come uh, Raza is able to run up there and throw Deken into it when the whole point of this big creature is to prevent that from happening? These are great questions <laughs> that I do not have an answer to. Okay. Madat is not... That awesome. So he's very strong, but super slow. I don't understand how Emperor Dukan is standing on the side of the crystal anyway. I mean, you'd think that Jaff and Madat would be pretty unhappy about that. Yeah, and if there's all these guardians, why not just release them all at once? Not just one at a time. That's a good point, too. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, 
Rather than, so Raza wanted to kill Daken. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But instead of killing uh, uh, Daken, all he does is succeed in transporting the X-Men, looks like maybe Daken, and the rest of the Star Jammers, well, to a crazy city. And it turns out that they are inside of the crystal, according to Jean Grey. And Storm is talking about she's never seen such a place, such emptiness, yet she feels closed in, trapped, cage. I do not like this place. Reality is, reality as we know it has no <laughs> meaning here. And within this sphere, the heart of it all, I can feel life's got in pain. Something is calling to me. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I sense such beauty. <laughs> <laughs> It's at this point that the crystal uh, uh, attacks its uh, interlopers, zapping them all with nightmares. Deken's nightmare is the soul. The soul drinker from the previous issue is attacking him. Nightcrawler's nightmare is that the the, the Bavarian village, I presume from his first appearance, is caught and is hunting him but it turns out that they're actually the x-men and uh corsair remembers his wife being killed by Duquesne. jean's nightmare is that she is uh she's having a nightmare about death and essentially her death so i found it interesting in this issue that i mean i get it fine like we're going through all of our nightmares and stuff but how come only Deken, Nightcrawler, Corsair, and Phoenix get a nightmare, and all the rest of the X-Men are fine? Because Chris Claremont just doesn't care about them. They're not fine. They're all having nightmares. If you see them in the background, they're all doing their nightmare thing. But rather than discuss each one X-Man by X-Man, he just says, and so it goes. Yeah, but each intruder finding himself snared in his own personal private hell. For Jean Grey, that hell is death. Y you know what would be really cool? is if in classic X-Men, they actually explain what the other X-Men's nightmares are, right? Like, Wolverines could be, like, constantly not being on a mission. Wolverine's not even there. He's in the ship. Yeah, but he's right here attacking Nightcrawler. Okay, fine, not Wolverine. Colossuses <laughs> could be that Alana actually died by the tractor. Colossus isn't there either. He got sucked out by the Beyonder in this instance. He did not. Okay, I made that up. <laughs> and, uh, and so it would go, and then everybody would have their own little nightmare. Colossus is that he hugged somebody too hard. Sure. That that uh, Anya girl, or whatever her name was. But So that would be really cool if that was in classic X-Men. I don't think so. I'm glad they skipped over it. I'd, I have no desire to see everybody's nightmare. Really? It would add, yeah. it would add insight into their character. Like, well, this is what they're afraid of. Well, let's well. Okay, let's do it. So Colossus is squeezing uh, uh, his sister, perhaps. No, I think that his nightmare would be the first time we saw him. Rather than him protecting Alana from the tractor, he's too slow or something, and the tractor actually kills Alana. And then he's got to live with that. Like I had the power and the strength of the Ustordinsky, but I could not protect my little sister. Okay, we know that. Uh, Storm's nightmare is uh, something to do with small spaces. Claustrophobia of some sort. You, you put it in there however you want to. Something to do with claustrophobia, either from her origin or just randomness. Now, do we need to do all of the Star Jammers, too? No, we don't know them yet. Okay. Well, that, that covers everybody, then. Well, what about Cyclops? What would his be? 
Well, his is his is uh, right here in the next panel. Oh, he loses complete control of his powers, and he's unable to shut them off. Oh wait, and Banshee, we didn't do Banshee. Um, apparently, his in the very last panel on this page is that he can't breathe or something. Oh really? I would think that it would be he is unable to enjoy fine whiskey and paintings that he likes to steal from time to time. <laughs> is that his his uh, plastic surgery that he had after those issues didn't take? Oh, no, his ears are growing back. I still have these pointy ears and this crazy upper lip. What happened? <laughs> the professor, he didn't fix me up like he promised. All right, fine. We did them all. Well, we didn't do Wolverine. What would Wolverine's be at this point, not knowing anything else about him? Um, that he's stuck at Alpha Base with no mission? Yeah. <laughs> that he's surrounded by futzers. And that he's really 19 and he has to always talk like this. <laughs> All right, fine. So as we move on, Cyclops is shooting everything because he can't turn off of his, his optic beams, but it almost seems that he... Well, he's having his nightmare, and because he is having his nightmare, he's not really sure about what he's really doing. So... Gene uh, is trying to get to him to help him, presumably, but then he shoots right through her. The beam is sure to cut me into two. Oh my god. My entire body's become ephemeral, like I'm some sort of living ghost. I'll worry about that later. <laughs> no big deal. Nothing to <laughs> panic about. I'm sure this is just a temporary thing. Scott! My question is, why doesn't Gene... So Gene, uh, I guess she, well, I guess she does just knock him out, doesn't he? Doesn't yeah, she? She, she reaches into his mind and, I guess, turns it off for the minute. Yeah, okay. Knocks him unconscious. And then she hears a sound. And there's a giant sphere, which is, the, I guess, what shot them all up with nightmares. Cyclops hit it with his beams before she was able to turn it off. Right, so it's like it's it's whatever's locked inside is breaking free, and it's this point that the the comic gets all like weird and trippy and and doesn't stops making a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I don't know if it was the fact that John Byrne just ran out of time and just started drawing random spacey things, or if Chris Claremont's script just said, "Okay, now do spacey stuff for the next three pages, and I'll fill in some dialogue." He's got a heck of a lot of dialogue, that's for sure. Uh, essentially what happens is that Jean Grey, uh, her phoenix fire bird that we saw before, leaves her body and enters the sphere. And while she enters the sphere, the nightmares turn off. Inside of the sphere is a, a lattice. A beautiful lattice. It's, it, is, it is quite beautiful. And and Jean Grey is also quite beautiful. She's quite impressed with her phoenixness. Yes. I feel as if I'm first time in my life I'm truly alive. Yep, the lattice is alive, she's truly alive. And when the lattice dies, the neutron galaxy will be free. Oh, by the way, there's a neutron galaxy if anybody was keeping score at home. It's a lattice work of anti energy and it's it's slowly unthreading. In her mind's eye, she witnesses the possible shape of things to come. Nothing will be spared as the power of the near-infinite mass reaches out across the universe, pulling stars and planets from their orbits within mon- with monstrous ease, destroying all of them in the process. So I-, I think she sees uh, Misty, her parents, and the professor being destroyed. 
And it would have been yep. neat, like, she's seeing maybe, like, the future. Like, this is a possible outcome. Like, if we're unable to do something, this is what could happen. So I would imagine that, yeah, you would show this, but then you'd show, like, the Fantastic Four, like, trying to, like, hold back a tsunami, and the Avengers are, like, trying to, you know, uh, I don't know, fight a volcano or something. Yeah, but they're all just dying and being destroyed, and then you really get the sheer horror that there's nothing in the world that can stop this thing. But no, you just see Misty, the Professor, and the Greys. And then the universe gets winked out. Indeed. It loses a lot of impact. I don't think so. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah that stuff that you mentioned would have been cool, but I, I think what's here is interesting, at least. No, it's not. <laughs> it's like a big puke-colored explosion that happens in the third panel, then a black explosion that happens in the fourth panel, and then she shoots the lattice with her phoenix head. There's nothing to relate to here. It's just a bunch of crazy, wacky lines. Yeah, the, yeah, I, I agree with you. And a, and a lot of words that essentially don't mean anything. <laughs> yeah, 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 there's a lot of blah, 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 blahs. Oh my god, I don't even... A network of interlocking stasis fields neutralizing the power of the N-galaxy. Yes. What? <laughs> there's an N-galaxy. Our only hope is to knit the lattice back together, and I can do this, but I need help. But I don't have the strength because the... Uh, N-Galaxy is absorbing energy, and all I am is energy. And Storm says, well, take take my energy, and it'll help you uh, take my life force, rather. And, and Jean Grey says, well, that'll kill you. And Storm says, that's okay. I'd, I'd rather give my life to save the world. It's a line that she will deliver a lot when she says, it is my life to give, my friend. Okay. She says that a lot throughout the the run that seems like a very storm thing to do yeah so that's at this point that's that uh, phoenix is like oh all right uh i got one human on my my team even though i didn't want her uh you corsair <laughs> help me she figures that if she has two she she might be able to take their life force without killing either of them mm. and i guess corsair is the nearest one and he's like, why should I help you? <laughs> Major Summers, please! There's no more time! Take my hand. How do you know my name? Just like everything else, I'll explain or look into it later. She heads into the sphere. Although I thought she was already in the sphere, but... No, they're in the gem. No, she she sent her Phoenix Energy Force into this broken sphere... Okay, so now she's going in with her body. Yeah, whatever. Physically. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she says, look after a Cyclops for me, Corsair. He's the man I love, but also easier for his poor son. My, oh, Lord, Scott, Scott. And then we get some more psychedelics as Jean Grey expands to uh, dwarf the entire solar system. See, now this one I don't mind because, like, while the previous was just, like, uh, unrecognizable lines forming explosions, this at least is the recognizable Phoenix Force uh, ever-expanding panel by panel. So I like these three panels. So, yeah, the Phoenix Force essentially gets really, really big, which, with the power of her friends, um, she the spirits of the X-Men are with her giving of themselves as Storm and Corsair gave. And it is in that instance, as she feels her power, the power of her friends sing within her, la la la, <laughs> it re-energizes the energy lattice. It's as if a door has opened and 
essentially save the world and the X-Men return home. Yeah, I want to step back because you glossed over it as fast as the comic book did, but <laughs> in addition to having Storm and Corsair's life force, the rest of the X-Men somehow were able to donate a little bit of their life force in order to help her maintain reality or some such nonsense. I said that. You did, but you went by it so fast, just like the comic book went by it so fast, that I wanted to make sure that we took a moment and just, just pointed that out. Spent a little bit more time on it. Uh, well, um, there, there's a new pattern form, shaped like the mystic tree of life, with Xavier as its lofty crown and Colossus as its base. Each X-Man has a place, each a purpose greater than himself or herself. Wolverine is a twig. Cyclops <laughs> is a limb. I, I don't know. So the new pattern of life by which the entire universe is created is built out of the X-Men? An X-Men tree. Interesting. Well, and then just like you also mentioned, uh, immediately after they save all of existence, they return back to the um, building top in which they left a few issues ago. There's there's no like, oh my god, can you believe what we did? I'm so glad that we got to meet you and that we were able to save the universe. And what are we going to do with this Deccan guy? Maybe we should put him in prison. I don't know. Just, oh, okay, my friends, we're home. <laughs> At the heart of the tree, the catalyst that binds these wayward souls together is Phoenix. Tip Hareth, child of the sun, child of life, the vision of the harmony of things. Chris Claremont's been smoking a lot of weed. Wait a minute. Is Tippereth Phoenix's last name? No, because there's a period. I think Tippereth is like the Egyptian name for Phoenix or something like uh, that. Okay. We Somebody from off panel says, Greetings, X-Men. I have been expecting you. And we find out that it's Fire Lord. Oh, man. Look alive, X-Men. It's on. He hasn't forgotten what happened. Then Jean Grey says, No, Cyclops, I'm done with fighting. If Fire Lord wants my life, it's his for the taking. To which I say, What about the other X-Men? I mean, don't they have a say in this? Yeah. Well, Fire Lord's like, Don't worry about it. While you guys are out there, the professor and I sat down, had a drink, played some cards, and we're cool. Yeah. And in fact, he's right over there. But uh, Lalandra also comes through the Stargate. And yep. then the Stargate disappears. It, it 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 disintegrates. It falls apart until there's nothing left but a small pile of slagged steel. And she reveals that even though her brother, uh, Decan, is incurably insane, uh, she was a traitor and led a rebellion against the Empire. So they haven't quite decided that she can lead it yet. So she's going to go on vacation while they decide... <laughs> Which makes absolutely no sense. You think she would? You think she would need to be there? But whatever. The Empire needs to iron out some legal wrinkles. That's it. Just some legal wrinkles, and then she can return back to home to to rule them. Well, how convenient that she does not need to be there. I mean, <laughs> so much could happen without her being there. But she's horny, so she's decided that she wants to be with the professor. She's like, you know what I could go for? Some bald cripple man. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who seems to have a thing for every other female in his life. Yeah, that's what I want. I'm sure he's chased Storm around once or twice. Mrs. Gray, you seem appealing. And, you know, for such a powerful woman, I kind of take issue with her final line, which is, 
Till then, my dearest love, I'm exiled here on Earth, and I'm yours. <laughs> like, what? You're going to be the empress of a, an entire empire. Like, I can understand maybe you want to, like, get some, but, like, I'm yours is not a very powerful statement. It'd be better if be like, uh, um, my, like, now we can be together or something. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you. I am yours is just, like, way too passive. But anyways... This book dedicated with respect and admiration to Dave Cockrum, who helped make the dream a reality. What? Is Dave dead? <laughs> and it followed, it's followed by, I'm not dead, Dave Cockrum. Next issue. There shall come a hero. Dun, dun, dun. We get a letter from John Byrne in the letters page, which, I don't know. It's just, I don't like John Byrne. I like his artwork. I don't, I've never liked his, like every interview I've ever read of his, everything I've ever read that he's written, although I've not read his Fantastic Four, so that might be good. But I just, I just don't like him. Well, it, it writes like a guy who's trying to be a writer. It, it writes like a guy who's full of himself. Oh. Who's the little robot he's talking about? In there he says, like, I created a very popular robot. I'm wondering if it's Herbie from uh, Fantastic Four, but probably not. I don't know. Huh. I don't know who that is. Well, that brings us to the end of this issue. Uh, do we get any uh, letters, Adam? Nope. No letters. No letters. And we lost an iTunes review. We're down from 39 to 38. For the love of... Somebody does not like our pandering. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's like, those guys pander so much, I'm taking my review away. I don't know if it was a written review or just a rating, but yeah, we're we're down one, so. All right. Well, if you'd like to get a hold of us, uh, you can at www.xmenpodcast.com or dangerroomatredcatproductions.com or you can visit us at our Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash dangerroompodcast. You can follow our tweets at dangerroomgo. And you could give us a little voicemail at 501-GET-X-MEN. And you can actually look up what those letters are on your iPhone as we learned a couple of issues ago. Yeah. So go back go back two episodes to hear what those letters, those numbers are. <laughs> or just look at your iPhone. There you go. Get X-Men. 501-GET-X-MEN. Or your Android device. Yes. So let's jump right into this classic X-Men tale. What do you say, Adam? Uh, let's do it. It's issue number 15 with a publication date of November 1987. We don't really care about the real date. No, we don't. And uh, <laughs> crap-tastic, spoilerific. Don't don't forget, there, there be spoilers here. There you go. And on the cover of this X-Men, you have what is essentially the panel of the X-Men attempting to stake Nightcrawler from the original issue redrawn to be the cover of this issue. Which, it's it's I guess it's a pretty good drawing. Interesting. The inker over Art Adams is the, the is Terry Austin, the same inker who inked John Byrne. Uh, I like Wolverine here, and I like Nightcrawler here, but the rest kind of suck. <laughs> well, they're kind of supposed to suck. Uh, they're not supposed to suck. They're they're supposed to be scary and frightening. And uh, I like Storm. Yeah, she well because she's heavily inked, right? Yeah. She looks creepy. So if we open this up and we look at the opening or the inside cover, like Chad, 
He looks pretty cool. Uh, Chaad. Chaad. Raza. He looks pretty cool. Skunk Girl. She looks okay. But I don't know what is going on with Corsair. Well, I think somebody just farted. <laughs> Corsair's like, oh, Chaad, you're killing us. Uh, you know what it feels like to me is like somebody called Art Adams out on like some graphic, uncomfortable pose a girl was doing. And he thought like, okay, well, I'll make a guy in the same type of uncomfortable chest sticking out, butt sticking out pose. Yeah, it does kind of look like one of those pinup uh, poses. Like if you take this pose and put Mary Jane Watson on there, you're kind of like, eh, oh, yeah. Like you got some fanfic right there. <laughs> <laughs> like stories to come but here with Corsair you're like yeah what's wrong with this guy so yeah he looks stupid um helping out John Byrne here is Chuck Patton uh in the the inserted scenes which are relatively seamless um they they start on page 15 they are not filling in the nightmares as you had hoped nope we get the panel where after Corsair says, my lord, uh, Scott, Scott, he says, he also says, my son, my boy, I thought you were dead. Basically, you just get some more Marvel Girl talking to herself. So since they added this on, like, has this whole page been redrawn? And what did we lose to get these three extra panels in here? Well, he didn't lose anything. Just, just Stuff just got moved around. Oh, so the Phoenix stuff that's on the next page? Yeah, the top three panels were the bottom three panels. The bottom panel is the top panel. Then the next page is entirely new. Oh. And then... And the next new panel is basically uh, where uh, Phoenix was inside, and she's like, oh, my gosh, Corsair and Storm aren't working. I need more, more. And that's when the professor, who's a galaxy away, is like, oh, then let us help you, child. Take all of our strength. And for some reason, all of the X-Men have cheesy little grins on their faces. They're like, hee hee. <laughs> we'll help you. Can Wolverine truly help? I mean, he's knocked out. He's on the Star Jammer. Yeah, I kind of hate this. And he's not wearing that cowl. He's 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 not wearing a mask right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyways... Uh, and he even gets a line. You that prideful darling determined to do this stunt solo no matter what the cost. But he's not talking like that. He's talking like, you that proudful darling determined to do this stunt solo no matter what the cost? <laughs> Why, because of his big smile? Because of his stupid cheesy grin that he's got. <laughs> well, we're going to help you. Yeah. Anyways. And so we get like a visualization of the tree... Yes. Which really doesn't look anything like a tree, but the X-Men are positioned all over the place. I couldn't tell you who was who. Well, Colossus we know is the root. Uh, looks like Wolverine is the the trunk. Yeah. Um, looks like Storm is on the left. Uh, I, I don't know what Storm, and I guess Banshee's on the right. Uh, and I don't know, the balls of the tree? Or what, is, what are they supposed to be? <laughs> I don't know. Phoenix is Presumably in the middle. Presumably that Cyclops above Phoenix. Nightcrawler to the right. Or maybe that's supposed to be Xavier. What did they say Xavier was? Uh, he was like the head of the tree or something. So I would put Cyclops to the top left. Okay. And then the top right is Nightcrawler. Well, well there you go. That's all the X-Men that have formed this tree. 
just to the right of uh, Cyclops, it looks like it, it's just shading, but it looks like for the professor's wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? So that's a part of it too. <laughs> yes, that's funny. Yeah, and then uh, oh well, and then major spoilers. She gets a vision of Dark Phoenix. No retcon, which concludes the use of Phoenix's power would be complete without a little bit of Dark Phoenix. And she blasts her away. No, wherever you are, wherever you came from, you're no part of me. I deny you. I cast you out. I'll die before I let you claim me. Then she pops out of the gem, but it doesn't go poot like it should. <laughs> she falls out. Cyclops captures or catches her. He's like, where are you? Where have you been? We tried to find you, but the gem, the crystal wouldn't let us in. What happened? There was, I saw such beauties, got so glorious, but then afterward, I, I can't remember. (laughs) And uh, Cyclops, just as quickly as possible, says, well, we're done. Let's go home. And that's when we cut back to our comic. My friends, we are home. Yeah. So I guess we lost a panel. So let's move on to the classic tale as drawn by uh, uh, John Bolton. This is Starjammers Aloft. Bum, bum, bum. And basically it boils down to there's a guy named Christopher Summers and he's in the salt mines of, uh, of somewhere. On a world far away. Yes, a long time ago on a world far away. Yeah. <laughs> he's a it's a prison planet even i believe that he is on the spice mines of kessel that could be <laughs> yeah doing whatever droids are supposed to be doing and he's hauling some things and there's like these giant apes oh my gosh is this a planet filled with apes <laughs> a planet of the apes no, it can't be. Well, when he was a kid, he he loved John Carter, Warlord of Mars, and Flash Gordon, and and he always wanted to, uh, just like he had read in Heinlein, Asimov, and Clark, he wanted to someday fly the stars, exploring the unknown planets, encountering strange and wondrous alien lives. And he got his wish. Sort of. Except that he's now a slave... And carrying large pieces of copper. Spices. Spices. <laughs> and uh, Hepzibah, that's her name. He- Hepzibah. Skunk girl Hepzibah runs out of a cave and runs right square into him. He kind of says, you can't hurt her. And then they they torture him with their amazing... Uh... God, these, these like orc guards are really talkative. Yes. They're using neurolash. Lovely weapon, my neurolash. It can inflict the most extreme, exquisite agony without causing the slightest physical damage. This is the Chris Claremont that I don't like. <laughs> like, I'm going to explain my weapon to you. Corsair gets a jolt full of pain, falls to the ground, and then the orc guy is like, uh, you've learned your lesson, you're not going to give us any more trouble, or you're going to get some more. And Corsair, he's a dead, broken man inside. No, please, please don't. Please, no, sir. Never again. And the mess that the uh, Neurolash owner created, he tells Corsair to clean it up. And he says, 
See, see how good I am? And he's cowering in the corner, a dead, empty man. Thinking back to the days that led up to this in which he was flying some wooden airplane or something because he's a, he's, a, he's a star pilot and he's announced to his wife and to his two boys, Alex and Scott, that one day he's going to be an astronaut. Corsair was his fighter call sign. His homage to the free-booting swashbucklers of old whose adventures he thrilled from childhood to read or watch in the movies. And that's when... Suddenly they get attacked by a spaceship. (laughs) It's a Shi'ar spaceship that is going through and collecting um, specimens, zoological specimens for the Empire. But uh, before um, Kate and Christopher are beamed aboard the ship, they push out Alex and Scott on their parachute, and the last memory they have of those two boys is of the parachute on fire heading towards the ground. Emperor Duquesne takes a liking to Corsair's wife and then ends up killing her because Corsair tries to interject. Mm-hmm. And uh, Duquesne likes the cut of Corsair's jib. He's impressed by his bravery. Uh, he's still got to be punished, but uh, he's still impressed, and that's when he sends him off to the Spice Mines of Kessel. Right. The mine world of Alcibar. And as those memories fade away, a giant, leechy-looking guy says, Greetings, sentient. Because apparently this guy is not sentient. Um, okay. (laughs) It's, well, it'd be like, it would be like me coming up to you being like, greetings, living being. And you being like, yeah, (laughs) what about it? Well, okay. I I see your point. Okay. Okay. It's it's just a weird way to introduce yourself. It's just stupid. Yeah, you're right. Welcome. Like, welcome, male homo sapien. (laughs) And you're like. (laughs) You're a male homo sapien. I don't know. Well, clearly this guy with sharp teeth and red eyes looks like a giant frog scares Corsair. And he's like, go away, go away. And he wets himself and he starts puking all over the place. They ask about Hepsiva and uh, he says, saw nothing. And uh, they realize that he's lying. But now that he knows that they're looking for Hepsiva. He, uh, they, Raza, who shows up, um, wants to kill Corsair and put him out of his misery so that he won't rat them out later. Chad is all like, nah, if we kill him, does that make us any, does that make us, how do, how are we any, any better than those guards that are guarding them in the first place? True. And they call him no better than a grub. And, and that's when, Corsair whips out his dictionary and says, a grub. Hmm, what is that? Uh, let's see. Uh, lower than the lowest animal. A crawling, uh, groveling, spineless, soulless thing. That's not me. I'm not, I'm not a grub. I've got a soul. So scream out loud, he does. No. This time when he screams, there is no laughter. Was there laughter last time he screamed? I have no idea. I mean, I think those guards laughed at him and was like, you can't, but I don't know. That's just a weird thing to reference, though. It is. Whatever. So he grabs some wood. 
<laughs> spice. And uh, <laughs> heads into where the orcs are holding Hepsiva. Chaad and Raza are hiding in the shadows about to jump the orcs. When they see Corsair coming, and they think that Corsair is going to rat them out, but Chaad says, wait, there's something about his aura. All may not be what it seems. So Chaad has the power of aura sensing? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, Corsair's walking up to the skunk lady, who's actually not very skunkish and actually kind of hot. <laughs> Gotta be honest. It's a good side boob going on there. Oh, man, are you a furry? <laughs> <laughs> no, but she doesn't have that much fur on her. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> um, she, he's like, well, uh, they're not afraid of me because I'm a grub. Uh, and he blah, 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 blah. Uh, looking at Hetzaba, there's no visible wounds, so they must not have done too much to her. They must have used the neuro-vibro laser thingy. The neuro-lash. And that's when he uses one of his spice crystals to stab the guy in the back. Uh, and apparently it kills him. Then he grabs his neuro lash and starts attacking some of the other guys, and uh, he gets he gets blasted by another guy's neuro lash. His mind goes white with pain, but a grim, stubborn ferocity refuses to allow him to succumb. Unfortunately, as he struggles free, looks like that's the ball game. Sorry, lady, gave him my best shot. And this. Big fat orc is like 20 feet in the air, hurtling himself <laughs> towards Corsair with his knives uh, out. Maybe that's his special ability, is leaping. <laughs> and that's when Chaad grabs him. It looks like this guy's wearing a nice pair of Tevas, though. Look at those sandals. There are Tevas or Birkenstocks. Maybe Birkenstocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're, they're definitely designer sandals. Chaad calls him a sentient, too. So I'm thinking that maybe, like, that's just his way of being like, hey, man. <laughs> oh, okay. And uh, I don't know what's going on with this guy's lips, but they look like they're connected. Yeah, that's Chaad's other power. No, no, no. I'm talking about the, oh, to, to like, make lips melt into each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> I gotcha. Uh, and so he throws the guard into the other guard or something like that. Corsair rescues Hepsiva, and she, she she bites him on the arm. Is she biting him or licking him? I don't know. I mean, there's it's a blood bond, so I would think that there has to be blood involved. Why isn't he like, ew, ew, <laughs> the skunk <laughs> well, girl. Even if she's just licking him, he would be, she'd be going, ew, ew. you just say, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't know. Like, do you have rabies? Like, where have you been? Like, you've been running around the spice planet just like me. We're not clean. <laughs> so whatever she does, she makes them comrades f till death. Mm -hmm. Chad picks them up and she says that we've got nowhere to run. Uh, they need to get off the planet. But in order to do that, they're going to need a pilot. Never mind a spaceship, but they're going to need a pilot. <laughs> I'm a pilot, says Christopher Summers. Even with your aid, there are no guarantees. Can fly, Starship? Can learn. <laughs> I don't know why everybody's speaking in broken English all of a sudden. Look, wherever you go, I'd like to come with you. Whatever you have planned, I'd like to be a part of it. That is, if you'll have me. Objections? None? <laughs> Splendid. <laughs> have you a name, sentient? 
Call me Corsair. Yes, there you go. And though none know it at the time, a legend is born. So says Chris Claremont. But I don't know. I just don't feel like the Starjammers really are legends. No. That's my own opinion. I think he thought he was creating the next, I don't know, star epic. Like, I think he was going to, I think he thought he was going to get a comic book out of this. Right. Like a Guardians of the Galaxy type deal or something. Well, space pirates, right? You know, and you've got, you introduced this whole Shi'ar empire. I mean, there's like, there's plenty of stories in there. You've got this rebellion thing going on. You've got these space pirates. You've got the galaxy that you can go hang out with. They're kind of connected with the X-Men. So anytime sales dip down, you can just have the X-Men come aboard and like do a cameo issue. Yeah. But no, they're just not that great. I like them in small doses, I suppose. Well, maybe not even that. I, I'm just not a big fan of the space stories of X Men. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know what it is about them, but I just feel like sometimes I like them. I guess. I think maybe I just like the Summers storyline. Um, the rest of the whole Shiar stuff, I could care less about. Like, I don't know what it is about the Shiar, but they just—they've never done anything for me. Have you ever asked them? <laughs> hey, could you get my paper? <laughs> Certainly sentient. <laughs> Says Deken. What else is going on in the world of uh, the X-Men, Adam? Well, I read quite I read a handful of things. I read Champions number 6 in which the champions are able to beat Rampage, who I talked about last episode, the uh the guy who is just down under by the economy. And then over in Amazing Spider-Man 161 and 162, uh, Nightcrawler is investigating the murder of a former circus friend by a uh, Punisher copycat. I also read The Amazing Spider-Man 161 and 162, and I think somewhere I actually have a reprint of 162. So this was actually the first time I'd ever read 161. That's that's uh, 162 is the more interesting one to be honest. That's the one that featured the Punisher, right? And uh, the first appearance of Jigsaw, mm-hmm. which is kind of exciting, and a reuse of Nightcrawler's "Hiding in the Shadows" power. Well, Nightcrawler also utters the phrase "Lieber Gott" for the first time in X Men comics in this issue. It does in both issues, "Lieber Gott," which will make its way over to uh, the Uncanny X Men. Len Wein is the writer and editor of those amazing Spider-Mans. So he's writing Wolverine as well, but he doesn't sound like Wolverine in here. And uh, Ross Andrew, who draws Wolverine on page three. Oh, my God. He looks like a clown here. Wolverine's got, like, if you put, like, some uh, clown... He looks like the Joker with that big smile of his. Oh, yeah, that is really terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, don't get your tail in an uproar, misfit. Can't you take a joke? Yes. And uh, where does this... So does this happen after they get back from space? No, this is way before. Oh, okay. This is like around uh, circa issue 100, probably prior to that. All right, so that makes some sense. It's Wolverine, Colossus, and Nightcrawl, and they're kind of ribbing each other a little bit. Colossus is trying to keep the peace, but... uh, Wolverine eventually just pushes Nightcrawler too far, and that's when Nightcrawler jumps out the window and uh, goes on his little adventure with Spider-Man. 
and the Punisher. There's, of course, there's a uh, uh, mistaken identity where Spider-Man thinks Nightcrawler's the shooter and Nightcrawler thinks Spider-Man's just as evil as the Daily Bugle says. And then they both think that the Punisher is the guy who's just randomly shooting people and it turns out that Jigsaw's involved somehow. Yep, that's that's it in a <laughs> nutshell. And J. Jonah Jameson is visiting some sort of scientist because he's got the dirt on Spider-Man. So does that mean in one of the upcoming issues, it's the J. Jonah Jameson where he's like the remote-controlled robot? Or did that happen earlier? I think that was earlier, but honestly, my Spider-Man history is very spotty. Okay. Well, anyways, there's a picture in this particular issue of J. Jonah ja- or of Spider-Man... Uh, with Peter Parker in a Spider-Man costume inside of a burlap sack. And J. Jonah Jameson's got that. He's like, I've got, I know who Spider-Man is now. But that doesn't resolve itself in these two issues, so we'll never find out how that happened. Anyways, what else did you read, Adam? I read Avengers 150, in which the Avengers deliberate over who are going to be the next set of Avengers. That's really all that happens. Hmm. And then they don't even decide. And they do decide in issue 151, uh, where we actually get a cameo from the champions. The whole world is watching the Avengers on TV to see who the new Avengers are going to be. And the uh, champions are wondering if uh, they're going to offer Beast a position. And randomly... uh, Ghost Rider, which in a panel that I found amusing, says, Teams, I'm not even sure why I joined this one. I guess everyone needs a friend, even a Ghost Rider. Oh, that's that's bad dialogue. (laughs) It's pretty (laughs) cheesy. So uh, Beast gets an offer. Uh, Hellcat uh, almost gets an offer, but they decide to make her a uh, kind of an honorary member Mm. as needed. Sure, on call. So the Avengers turn out to be Vision, Scarlet Witch, Beast, Iron Man, Captain America, and uh, Wasp, and and uh, Yellow Jacket. And then in Avengers 152, Wonder Man shows up, which I guess Vision has Wonder Man's mind. Like Wonder Man's mind after his first appearance was transferred into Vision. Yeah, we kind of like we kind of covered that in those X Men middle years where uh, Vision was in the sewers and uh, somebody had Simon whatever his last name is his body or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't so, know. So there's not really a lot of Beast in issue one fifty two, but the only reason I actually brought it up was because of something that you might find interesting. They call. Um, Simon Jones or Wonder Man, a Zuvembi. A what? A Zuvembi. What is that? Well, in the in the nineteen seventies, uh, the comics code uh, was a lot more lenient. For instance, they allowed vampires, but they did not allow zombies. Oh, because they lacked the literary background of, you know, the, the history of like vampires of a vampire. And sure. Sure. So, uh, Marvel went back to the 1930s, a Robert Howard story called pigeons from hell that <laughs> features the, something that he created called the Zuvembi, which is a no longer human creature that cannot talk or think like a human. Essentially it's a zombie. A Zuvembi. Yes. Interesting. <laughs> 
And apparently the Zuvimbi term caught on and uh, was even DC started picking it up. Hmm. So interesting. I suppose. However, they could figure out how to tell the story. It's going to bug me what Simon Wonder Man's last name is, though. It's not Jones. It's Jones. I don't think so. I don't think so. Originally, he was a supervillain. Yes. I think in this, he is still a supervillain as of this appearance. Um, I think he was a supervillain who was like misunderstood or something like that. Simon Williams. Yes, there you go. Son of Sanford Williams, owner of Williams Innovations. This refers to his last appearance as being in Avengers number nine. So if you want to know all about him, go back to Avengers number nine and read that one. I bought Wonder Man number one, and I thought it was going to be worth something. Me too. Because apparently he was like a movie star or something. Right, he was trying to have a career or something. Yeah. I don't think it's worth anything. He's still around today. Yeah? Well, there you go. Uh, Anything else you read? Uh, Yeah, I did want to... I mentioned this to you, but I wanted to talk about how... uh, Since this is timely and Talk of the Nation just ended... Oh, right, right. Talk of the Nation being an NPR show that aired from 2001 to 2013. Uh, But that brings uh, Neil Conan, who was the host of Talk of the Nation, into view. And apparently, just out of curiosity, it turns out that he was a friend of Chris Claremont. And uh, I figure we'll mention this now. He he eventually gets an appearance in Uncanny X-Men 226. It'll be a long time from now, but I figured... We might as well mention it now since this is in the news now. And the only reason I'm familiar with it is because X-Men 226 is right right around the right about the time I started collecting X-Men is, is when that issue was out. It's right in the middle of Follow the Mutants. Correct. And uh, Neil Conan arrives on the scene with uh, his, his cameraman whose name is like Manoli or something like that. I, I can't remember. And uh, he's like, oh, I'm Neil Conan of NPR. And I was like, oh, wow. I wonder if that's a nod to Conan the Barbarian right what a weird (laughs) name but then as my father and i were doing a road trip a very long road trip between madison and new york uh, we were listening to a lot of npr not by my choice of course because i was like 12 at the time and lord only knows i didn't want to listen to npr but they kept having these little um interjections by this dude named neil conan who kept talking about his upcoming talk of the nation you know tonight on talk of the nation i'll be talking with so and so and such and such and I was like, wait a minute, he's in my comic book. <laughs> that guy stole my comic book name? But then I was like, no. I was like, so I kind of thought for a long time, I thought it was just a thing that they just use real people. And I think sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. So anyways. Well, yeah, it's, it's definitely a thing Marvel uses real people. I yeah. mean, that's, that's like been pretty fairly common. But Well, but sometimes like Trish Tilby, who is a X-Factor news journalist, is not a real news journalist. So they go well, back right. I mean, they create fictitious people too, but they're like DC. I don't think uses any real people, even presidents. No, I think they have fictitious presidents. Really? Like Lex Luthor. Was he a president? I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I, have I mentioned before that I don't follow DC at all? You, you probably have. No, okay. I knew that. I just think it's weird. Uh, so this is, I think this is the second president that we've been through in the comics now. We we had they, Nixon. They go, they go by quickly. I mean, these are the uh, as you as you like to point out, these are things that place uh the events of these comics in real time. They basically lock them in time, but as we go forward, 
Uh, I think I I know that our comic reading will take us to Ronald Reagan. I don't know if our comic reading will take us to either of the Bushes, but but maybe they will. I don't know. I know G.W. Bush appeared in Ultimates, but that was a different universe. Right, right. And I didn't Obama get a whole bunch of uh, covers of Spider-Man or something? Oh, yeah. Well, he's a big Spider-Man fan, so Marvel's like, well, let's cash in on this. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, as referenced in the stories, like, uh, there's a, well, whatever. We'll get to it when we get to it. But Ronald Reagan is featured prominently in, 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 in an issue that we will read. Cool. Yeah. Well, you'll probably read it. I probably won't. You'll probably mention it. I'll be like, oh, yeah, I read that issue. It's just some off <laughs> Avengers issue featuring Kang. All right. Anything else? So that's it. That's all I got. Well, then, folks, until next week, the danger room is closed. I want to just interrupt real quick here and talk about Wolverine's head on the second okay. page because I meant to rem- remember it, but we totally blew by it. If you look at the at Wolverine's head on the second page, first panel, it looks like it is sliding off of his body. I mentioned the third page, third panel, it looked like his chin was sliding off of his head, but oh, okay. On yes, the second yes, page, first panel, I mean, his body is okay. But his neck, it either looks like Mr. Fantastic's stretcho power or that his head is just sliding off of his body. He has a very long neck. Like, John Bird hasn't figured out Wolverine. If it's that long, it's also really, really thin. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wolverine has a long, thin neck. Okay. It's a bad drawing. Okay. So that's just an edit point because that's totally out of context.